podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Got my hair cut yesterday. All right, everyone. This is Naishad Gadani coming to you from sunny Melbourne. Uh, And uh, right now it's free Melbourne and tonight it will be lockdown Melbourne. But that's the world that we are living in. Um, And me and Caroline Brown started this, uh, you know, unique concept of career care package. You receive care package when you are in, in trouble times or when you are looking for some help and that's the motto that me and caroline have been driving for around four months now today is our 76th episode in our effort to uh, brighten up your day and to deliver hope and optimism in this covid 19 times and we brighten up your linkedin screen every day 3 p.m and we wish to continue that for some period of time at least but how ironic it is that we are going to discuss a very, you know, very fundamental challenge or you know, desire of human around hope and optimism on a day where we need it the most. So we consider that this, uh, you know, talk that we are going to have with Victor today will actually help you deal with. Uh, the lockdown challenges and even beyond lockdown challenges as well. So before we bring Victor on the screen and start to enlighten us about hope and optimism, I welcome Caroline Brown, the co-founder of Career Care Package. Thanks, Nesh. And yes, it's a great day to inject a bit of optimism in the world because uh, I don't know about you and I was just thinking about it. You know, when I, I look at numbers going up with the COVID numbers and then I look at numbers going down my mood goes up and my mood goes down and you know I, I feel like optimism is something that probably should be more innate than looking for external um, ex- like an external validation so to speak so um, fantastic to have you here today Victor and I was intrigued by your LinkedIn profile that calls you that optimism man I think that's a fantastic title <laughs> And uh, just a brief introduction, and uh, Victor, you'll probably do it far better than me, but Victor is a speaker, a writer, a barrister, I believe, and the founder of the Centre for Optimism. So um, on a day like today, I think it's great to discuss the theme of optimism, what it means, how you can inject more into your life, um, how, how to feel, or not how to feel, but you know, some strategies around um, coping with times like these. So Victor, thank you very much for joining us. It is an absolute delight to join you, Carolyn and Nashad. It's uh, my, very exciting. It's my first time on LinkedIn Live, so um, it's a new experience for me. Always good to have new experiences. Yes, well, Nash and I like to joke that we make people globally famous, but we're not quite at that scale yet. So, well, after, yeah. after the first twenty years of these broadcasts, yes. I think uh, it will be clear. But I certainly am very excited. Excellent. Um, 
I reckon a good place to start is to give give people a, a background about um, what you do and actually how you came to be doing what you do now. So, um, put it in most simply, we only have one product, and it is to ask the question: What makes you optimistic? Mm. Uh, not are you optimistic? Now it's too easy to say yes, no. Even a pessimistic person or a person uncertain as to the sources of their optimism can answer that question. And as Megumi Mickey, the author of Quietly Powerful, said to me when I asked her that question, she said, in just asking me that question alone, you lifted me up. Mm. Um, you caused me to contemplate. You caused me to think uh, about the good things in, in life. And um, that's one of the great things for me. Every day I'm sharing um, several um, quotes and quotable quotes from people on their optimism. So how did I come to be here? Well, it, it could be a long, I was actually contemplating this because you foreshadowed this question and I was thinking, should I go back to 1840 and my ancestors <laughs> um, migrating from, you know, Sweden to Latvia or um, should I come a, a little bit closer to home? So I think I'll, I'll do the closer to home. Um, so um, I have nearly um, 20 years as a, a member of state parliament and uh, loved it for most of the time and the challenges and um, meeting new people, helping people. But I could see that politics was becoming ever more negative. So in 2006, I quit politics and uh, went off into my own regulatory affairs business. And then out of the blue, the Labor Premier, John Brumby, um, took me to lunch and asked me whether I would take on the role of Commissioner to the Americas. Um, trade and investment commissioner, North and South America. And it was an uh, amazing time, headquartered in San Francisco, a week a month in New York, um, working out of Chicago, Latin America. Uh, we opened an office to promote defense or military exports in Washington. And the thing for us as Australians that struck me um, was the utterly positive stereotype that being Australian brought me, the advantages it brought me. So the chairman of Caterpillar in my meeting in Peoria said, you Aussies remind me of the Americans of 100 years ago. Nothing is impossible. Mm. Um, the Secretary General of the Rio Olympics, we took several trade missions to Rio to sell Australian sports management services, looked me in the eye and said, I want an Olympic Games like Sydney, a legacy like Melbourne 1956. And he knew Melbourne well because he'd, he'd lived and worked in Melbourne. Um, lovely little experiences. I, I went to do a pitch at Eli Lilly um, on more drug trials in Melbourne. And um, it, was, it was nice to be invited, but it was the catering manager who was so excited. She baked lamingtons and party pies. <laughs> I think it was the first time that Lavingtons had ever been baked in Indianapolis um, and served it on, on the silver service they'd used for the British royal family. But it was the Aussie coming to town. And, and this was everywhere. You know, you could meet a truck driver on Route 66 and I love that Fosters of yours to <laughs> on and on. And then after that, I had an even more remarkable experience. Um, I was a senior advisor to the Australian G20 presidency. And at that super elite level of heads of state, finance ministers, central bank governors, there was again this astonishing positivity and trust towards Australians. And then 2015, I settled back into Melbourne and I was astonished by the negativity. Mm. 
It was like the only country in the world that didn't get Australian leadership was Australia itself. So rather than complain about the complainers, and there were many complainers, um, mm. I set up the Australian Leadership Project. And over two and a half years, we interviewed 2,500 people on the qualities of Australian leadership, the qualities that distinguish Australian leadership from global leadership. And, and there are three such qualities. Um, one is egalitarianism. You know, Australian leaders sit in the front seat of the limousine. Um, you know, we talk to the cleaner with more respect than the chairman. Self-facing humour. You know, we laugh at ourselves but take our work seriously. And third, no bullshit plain speaking. Mm. Now, those are the three qualities of Australian leadership. Egalitarianism, self-effacing humour, and no bullshit plain speaking. There's millions of people like that. Mm. They're running kindergartens, they're running churches, they're running companies, they're running takeaway restaurants. Um, and that's why Australia is number one on the United Nations Development Index, number one on the OECD Good Life Index, five of our cities in the top 15 on the economist ranking of cities for livability. So I was left even more confused. You're living in the best country on earth. Why are you so unhappy? And then I had the good fortune of being a speaker on the last panel at the Global Integrity Summit of 2017. And we changed, after three days of misery, we changed the name of the panel to The Case for Optimism. And it electrified people. And Helen Clark, who was then the head of the United Nations Development Program, said, turn that into a book, Victor, and I will endorse it. Mm. Um, and so there were a number of keynote speeches, Madrid, Phoenix, um, workshops in prisons and universities. And then in August of last year, um, someone in government said to me, why the something? What can the government do that Victor Purton himself can't do globally? And I thought, you're bloody well right. So we registered the name of the Centre for Optimism. Uh, we built a very rudimentary website. And again, it just made sense to people. So Rob Masters um, agreed to be my chairman. People like John Hagel, James Strock, Sean Callahan all said, well, uh, Eloise Grace will join your advisory board. Um, and in January, we decided to go with a membership model. Um, and in six months, we've got 2,500 members um, in 52 countries. We've done research that's been widely reported on the better normal, um, on, on a range of other topics. But we come back to what is it that we do? Very mm. simple. One question, what makes you optimistic? Mm. And Carolyn and Naishat, what makes each of you optimistic? That's a very good question, and I knew you were going to ask me. So I've, <laughs> I have, I, I have made sure that I, I've written that down, and you, this is something that you that you told me that that would be your homework. And being a good Indian student, I can't, <laughs> uh, I cannot disobey my teacher or guru. So uh, you know, as as I think I I sent my quote to you, but I think what makes me optimistic now at this point at this time at the three ten p.m. is um you know is that i think despite of the challenges that we are faced right now i still see uh human spirit alive i still see that people are still willing to to do what is required 
you know, and help, you know, each other, you know, each uh, other fellow human being. I was floored when we looked at, you know, KP, we discussed about that, that the amount of money raised for those nine you know, public housing towers that were closed, you know, completely locked down, you know, $300,000 was raised just in you know, a few hours. You know, that really instills this faith that however dark it is, uh, you know, there's still, uh, you know, hope out there. And one of the last thing that I can say before I hand it over to KB is that in India, we always say that the darkest of the, uh, you know, when it is absolute dark, that is the only possibility for light to emerge. Because it is, you know, usually it's four o'clock in four o'clock in the morning is the darkest. The hour of God, the hour of God. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's what I, I always I always am guided by or always look at that when it's get too dark, it feels that the morning is about to emerge. That means the hope is about to emerge. So that's how I see, uh, you know, uh, hope and optimism. Now, you know, I have my moments where I don't see that applicable on the ground. Uh, but there are there are moments that I catch myself and go back to thinking like that. KB. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there is so many examples of, of lovely things that people have done during this time that do get lost in all of the, the headlines. But I think for me, for like from a practical sense, I, I was thinking about that because you asked the question and you, like you say, you know, when you ask the question, you get all of these responses and get people to reflect on what, what makes them optimistic. But this project has been optimistic for us because Nation and I just started it without it's kind of like you start something with you where you don't know where it's going to end and with the confidence that something nice will come out of it and i think um we started doing this just because we felt it was important to share um you know perspectives expertise and some hope but not knowing whether that would work or not um not knowing you know what was around the corner but it's also the fact that we've gotten people like you and other guests on this show that have just given up an hour of their time um, to to share stuff with people. That's like it's an ongoing optimistic optimistic project. I think um, only an hour, KB. Sorry. Only an hour, KB. Only that. Well, you can see but it's, it's been really lovely and it's really like the, from the very first time like Nation was in lockdown in India, couldn't get home, flights were God knows how expensive, getting a family of um, you know two boys and um, your, your wife back home but still willing to set up a LinkedIn live, invite guests, you know bring people together um, to talk about um, you know to, to give a sense of well how can we get through this? What can we do to make things better? And I think that's, you know, um, it's been a demonstration of that. So I think from a practical sense, that's, that's what optimism is. It's like when there's, when you don't know what's around the corner, what can you do right now? And having some confidence that what you're doing right now will make, make a difference for the Yeah, and, and the old expression is, you know, um, everything will work out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So well, nationally, I've spent a bit of time interviewing people in India um, through to women digging ditches in, in rural road projects. And, um, you know, a lot of um, Indian answers are around faith. So yours is faith in humanity. 
Um, you get faith in God and then also family. But I, I just yep. love it. Every time you sort of ask a, and often, usually I've got to use an interpreter because in, in rural areas it's often dialect. Uh, but there's yep. always a huge grin, you know, when you ask someone what makes you optimistic. And, you know, you'll get that little hand gesture and the little movement of the head and, you know, it's God or family and, um, or, you know, having work or pointing to the other ladies in saris and, you know, my friends. So um, I find India um, and South Asia in general um, you actually is much more optimistic than the Western world. Mm. Although India would now say it's part of the Western world, so it's probably sure. an old paradigm yeah. in my 60-year-old head. Yeah, 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 I agree. And I, I've seen that, you know, uh, we've got somebody who wrote about what optimistic. So I remain optimistic, someone says, in COVID-19 world by being grateful. Yeah. for what each new day brings and having a purpose and goal um, to make this a better and brighter world. So I think, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. And I can just cite an example and then we'll get on to the questions. You know, when we were in complete lockdown, uh, obviously me and my family did not go out because that was my brother's strict instruction that you can't step out of the home. Whatever that you need me, uh, you know, I'll get it for you. But we had, you know, people who will still come to pick up the rubbish and people who will still come to clean up the, you know, clean the, the streets and everything. And I, I knew this guy who would, you know, pick up the rubbish and I knew him since I was in India. And in despite of this, you know, he had a smile on his face and you know, he would talk, yeah, you know, we are struggling, but, you know, things will be fine. I don't think so. Corona can, you know, can, uh, you know, shackle us or can really dampen our confidence in um, and and he would just carry along he's had absolutely no absolutely no um, problem with with the usual stuff first world problem though what am i going to eat um, is my are my kids going to get a pizza on this weekend or not right and and you know this guy has got absolutely no problem with lockdown or not lockdown and you know he would just carry along i think that's that's what i'm talking about the human spirit is is absolutely mind-blowing we have seen in india in these times which uh, people traveled on foot thousands of kilometers thousands i'm not talking about you know going from melbourne to uh you know to uh you know uh, you know mulgrave right i'm talking about people travel thousands of kilometers with kids and in 40 degrees it is an unimagined i cannot even fathom uh, the the spirit of of humankind for somebody to take that take that journey it was absolutely incredible for me to observe that and and really consume that and then see what you know whether my concerns of you know, going back to Australia are small or they are big or should I be concerned about it and everything. So I, I, I used to you know kind of focus on that element too, but uh, but yeah. So KB, let's let's dig into questions because that's why we got you here. We we got yes. <laughs> questions. That the brain. <laughs> just yeah. I just thought one thing though, Nash. One interesting experience from India's lockdown is I had interns from Flame University. You know, traditionally they go and work in someone's office, but um, they were told they could seek out anyone globally. Um, so I've had a wonderful wow. experience with Indian 
student student interns working in India. Right. Excellent. That's really yeah. good. Um, yes, go ahead, Kelly. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say around you know optimism and what like what what does the research say? Like what what what's optimism linked to in terms of like success or um, promotion or is there, is there a, I imagine that it's linked to a, a number of diff, different outcomes. Is that is that correct? What, yeah, most of the research, even though the, the writing on optimism goes back decades or even hundreds of years, um, yeah. the research is relatively new because it relies on brain scanning, uh, measuring hormones and the like. So, so the most exciting research is around longevity. Yeah. So you've got Harvard, Stanford, um, the American military studying people with PTSD, um, you've got Boston University, Mayo Clinic, the American College of Cardiology, Brookings Institution, all say, now say that the key trait for longevity, living beyond 85 in, in a healthy state, is optimism. Mm. It's not geography, it's not genetics, it's not wealth, it's a positive frame of mind. And um, the American College of Cardiology, the... Um, um, Mount Sinai Medical System did a, a study of studies, 200,000 subjects um, over decades. Um, the most protective trait against heart disease is optimism. The, most, yeah. the greatest predictor of recovery from heart disease is optimism. And there's yeah. good evidence around cancer, um, even now around dementia. We've been doing some work with Dementia Australia. Uh, but the global dementia work is now saying, um, on the, the scientific evidence says that a negative frame of mind is more likely to lead you to a faster progress of Alzheimer's and dementia yeah, than otherwise. Wow. Then um, around leadership, um, you know, whether it's Dominic Barton from McKinsey, um, Corn Ferry's three traits of leadership include infectious optimism, and Iger, who's just stood down as the head of Disney, uh, in his uh, book on leadership, uh, he has 10 traits of leadership, but number one um, is infectiously optimistic leadership. And Barton, of course, you know, the head of McKinsey's who spent time with, you know, thousands of the great leaders, says, look, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's 70, 80 modern traits of leadership in the literature, but the, the core ability of the great leader is to infect others with optimism. Yeah. So it's not the hero leader, yeah. it's the leader who can generate the optimism from the team. And I had a lovely experience at Circular Key in Sydney where I was sitting on my own early in the morning having a coffee and a guy was sitting next to me and like everyone who sits next to me is on their own, he ended up having a chat with me. And um, he was from Singapore and he said, look, oh, every Monday morning I give the rah-rah speech to my sales team and by Monday afternoon, it's worn off. And I said, well, have you ever asked them what makes them optimistic? Mm. Of course, he went back and did it. And now once a month, around the sales team, mm. they go around and share what makes them optimistic. Um, mm. In terms of innovation, um, there's very good um, analysis now that says, look, it's almost impossible for the pessimist to mm. be a good innovator because innovation requires the acceptance of failure. Mm. And the pessimist tends to ruminate on fault and you know, personal fault and 
could I have done it better? Whereas the optimist just says, look, may I say shit happens on your interview? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the optimist tends to say shit happens. Or, you know, as, as uh, Dyson, you know, with his 5,000 um, mm. attempts at getting the perfect vacuum cleaner. Um, mm. Edison, you know, reflects much the same. Einstein, the same. Um, you've got to be prepared to give it a go. So there's some really good literature um, out of the human resources sector on that. But, but what puzzles me is that we don't interview for optimism. Mm. So we ask people if they're innovative or we ask people if they're entrepreneurial or we ask people if they're good leaders. But the underpinning trait is optimism and there's a conservatism um, mm. in the human resources sector and in the recruitment sector where they've actually failed to incorporate that into the interview process. And whenever you ask them, they sort of hang their head and look a bit embarrassed and say, oh, we mm. get that in the resilience or the like. But again, mm. the scientific literature says resilience is a product of optimism, not vice versa. And mm. Jay Turn, who headed up the Young and Well CRC, so five years of fantastic research on what makes young people well, she said, I, I won't get the direct quote now, I haven't memorised it, but it essentially says, look, you can talk about resilience, you can talk about any other thing, but when the chips are down, when you've really got to draw from the core, um, it's optimism. So the literature is there, the literature and, and the scientific research. One you'll like best is, is some work out of the University of Illinois, which says that optimists are better sleepers. <laughs> Why do you think that's the case? Because you're not waking up at 3am and, you know, that's like, yeah, that's the typical, like a, a symptom of anxiety is that, that middle of the night wake up, basically. Yeah, so. worrying. And then the yeah. last one you'll really love is the study from the University of Michigan on the effect of partners on your health and yeah. they concluded that an optimistic partner husband wife partner otherwise um gives you some of the same protective uh, effects mm. of being optimistic yourself so in my speeches i normally say to people you know if you're married to an optimist uh, it's a blessing if you're mm. single make that one of the first questions on the first date <laughs> what makes you optimistic but if you're married to a pessimist there's two conclusions. One is after we finished our interview, uh, people will know they can have some positive effects on that partner or alternatively surround yourself with another optimist. Yeah. Can, uh, like, it, can you practice and in, um, increase your optimism? I guess like there's multiple, multiple de definitions of optimism, but can you increase your optimism in whatever that means to you? Is there some daily habits or daily practices that, um, you know, science or research has shown to be effective? Yeah, and in fact, um, working with some people at the moment, we're, we're actually going to do an online course for people um, yeah. on the habits of optimism. So optimism is actually quite simple. See, people, um, you know, the critics of optimism, you know, because there's a whole business around being pessimistic. You know, I'm from one of the big four and your leadership is hopeless and your management is hopeless. Pay me 3,000 an hour and pay my interns 800 an hour and I'll, I'll fix it. Um, so there's a whole business uh, model based on telling people they're terrible um, or being pessimistic. So, so the, the primary definition of optimism is a belief that good things will happen and that things will work out in the end. Mm. 
things. And in fact, there's a wonderful um, English mystic of the 14th century, uh, Mother Julian of Norwich, who lived through the pan the, that pandemic, the Black Plague. Um, and hers is the oldest book written by a woman in English. Wow. And her phrase is, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. So mm. it's this notion of persistence and things will work out in the end. Mm. But how can you lift that? So, so number one um, habit that I have is smile like an optimist. Right? We all know you should smile, but it's so easily forgotten. Mm. People get up, teenagers get up grumpy in the morning and father or mother is greeted by this sort of grumpy child. And, you know, you start to frown and they frown and everyone frowns. Um, so the discipline of first thing in the morning, even if the other people in the household are grumpy, to mm. smile and say good morning, you know, and, and something evocative. And a really good trick is smiling at strangers. Um, I do it walking through the suburbs. I do it walking in the country. Um, I do it walking down the main street of Melbourne. Well, some people think he's a bit weird. But if you <laughs> smile at people, they will smile back at you. Yeah. So the number one habit of the optimist um, mm. is, is number one, smiling. Number mm. two habit is, is this one where I say, ask yourself once a month, once every six months, what makes you optimistic? Mm. Um, and ask others. And I think you'll find that. Thirdly is um, we did some wonderful work in prison around changing greetings. So in Australia and, and in places like France and the like, if you say, how are you? Mm. People will say, not bad or not too bad. Mm. What does that mean? It's a <laughs> question of wasted answer. So I've coached people on, and, and all of your listeners, you two could try it for a day or a week. Instead of saying, how, you know, hello, how are you? And people just sort of ignore it and give you that. Say, what's the best thing happening for you? Oh, or what's the best thing in your day? Now, they will stop because your question is so unusual, but you actually bias the conversation to the positive um, right from the beginning. and and. It's, it's part of, uh, one of the things that's really infected Australia in the West is this notion that critical thinking is everything. You know, there's no higher calling for the journalist than being an investigative reporter. Mm. You're tearing someone down. Whereas I love appreciative inquiry. You know, you and I might disagree, KB. You and I might disagree, but I can say and rather than but. Mm. And one of the people really talked to me about both people at the power end and the people at the powerless end of meetings both talk to me about this problem of people at the table aching to say but, mm. aching to tear them down or calling them a Pollyanna or calling them unrealistic. Um, and so one of the things we really try and, and get into people's heads is and rather than but. Mm. Um, and it's it's this fostering of positive conversations another one that's very strong you 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 both read bill george's true north but i asked bill george you know, the harvard leadership academic what makes him optimistic mm. he said being surrounded by positive people mm. you know, what and use the words what a blessing mm. and so it doesn't matter whether it's your morning coffee or or 
the people you're going to have at your meeting. Um, as one of the Australian billionaire miners said to me, um, I only have optimists around the board table. We can recruit pessimists by the hour from law firms and accounting firms. <laughs> so the notion of surrounding yourself with optimistic people, it, it is a choice. Because yeah. we all know, you know, there are times when you're going to go and do business with a negative person. Um, you know, there might be someone in your family who's a pessimist that you got to care for or spend time with. Um, mm. then, then learning like an optimist, you know, always being curious, mm. um, you know, just asking good questions, reading widely. And then a critical one nowadays, you talked about that right in your introduction, KB, is the problem of the modern news. So Stephen Pinker, who's the lead teacher in psychology at Harvard, talks about the change in the news. So I'm 60. In mm. the 70s, when I was youthful, uh, the news was 50-50 good-bad. Mm. Channel 7 had two TV crews. There wasn't enough bad news mm. for them to cover. And so you would get you know, press releases being covered, good news being covered, new research. But now they've got this instant access to every bit of negativity. So someone gets shot in a Walmart in Louisiana, you know, down the bottom, you know, of the ABC News is shooting in Walmart in Louisiana. Mm. And yet you know, there are a hundred good news stories. So, um, and, and yeah, so put yourself on a news diet. And I say to business people like yourselves, don't listen to the news till you're heading to work, mm. right? Mm. There's lots of other things you can read and think about, but don't have your alarm set with the morning news. And there's a preacher in America who I um, published his sermon recently who said he listens 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening. He can sound informed and intelligent about what's happening in the world on half an hour. He doesn't need to be listening every 15 minutes to the same repetitive negativity. And you both know that with brain plasticity, mm. you keep pumping in the bad stuff, you'll feel bad. And mm. then the last one, the last two I'll suggest to you, because I have 16 habits of the optimist, so that'll take us our entire hour. <laughs> uh, number one is share, as you two are doing, share stories of hope and optimism. Mm. Like the research done by Coke and Disney and others says people are yearning for stories of hope and optimism. They are sick of the bad news. They want a good story, or as my friend John Hagel would say, a good narrative mm. um, of hope and optimism. And then the last one is what we've been doing is laugh like an optimist. Mm. You know, tell jokes, be happy. So I start with smile like an optimist, mm. laugh like an optimist. And in the middle, there's a whole lot of tools. The last one I'd probably give your, your watchers or listeners a little trick from the American military is um, fantasizing, mm. um, imagining. So the American military now uses an exercise called my best self. Mm -hmm. So you take a piece of paper, best done, written rather than typed, and you imagine yourself six months hence or 12 months hence, five years hence, 20 years hence, whatever you choose. Mm. But you spend 15 minutes writing about what you're going to be like, what your best self would look like at that time. Now, there are hundreds of other exercises we could do, mm. but, but those would be some of the ones that you can do in a business context. And the most mm. important one in the business context 
is once a month, go around the board table, go around the exec table, go around the team, and at the beginning of the meeting, mm. what's making you optimistic? Now, you wow. wouldn't do it every meeting because optimism shouldn't change week by week. Yeah. But not if you do it once a month, my God, you'll be jumping through hoops. You'll be a, a fantastic team. Just some amazing um, gems that you've given people to take away. And I really love the thing around, you know, you'd be more attractive as a job seeker if you're you're optimistic as well. And it's probably a time that you need a lot of optimism because, you know, you do get a lot of knockbacks and you don't hear yeah. back and all of that kind of stuff. I want to Gary, ask can I share something with you? When I was a young um, graduate from university, um, I sent a hundred letters to law firms for what was then called articles. And um, as you say, you know, 40 of them didn't write back. Um, 30 of them wrote back saying no. Um, 23 interviews and it was the 23rd interview. You know, you've got to be in the job seeking world when there's 4,000 applicants for a job. You've got to be persistent. Yeah. I was wanting to ask you about morning routines. I've been reading a bit lately and trying it myself about having a morning, like a set morning routine that starts with a little bit of exercise and a little bit of meditation um, just to set me, me up for the day. What's the research around, you know, that saying of win the morning, win the day? Have you heard anything around that at all in terms of... Um, yeah, I haven't seen it related to optimism, but, but you put it beautifully. So I've come back to Nashad's um, comment on four o'clock in the morning um, mm. being the darkest hour. I've spent time meditating with a women-led Hindu sect called the Brahma Kumaris. And they, in fact, do their morning meditation at four in the morning. Um, so this notion you, you have, you know, you wake up, they wake up at 3.30 and have a cup of tea and get themselves ready and then meditate at four. Now, that's probably too early for most people in a Western environment. Um, but I, there's, um, if we, Martin Seligman is one of the gurus of positive psychology. And he was the one that talked about um, the blessings, the gratitude exercise, um, which just before you go to sleep, you write down the three best things in your day. Yeah, and you keep a journal by your bed or a scrap of paper, however you do it. Um, and first thing in the morning, whether you're sitting on the toilet or um, sitting on the side of your bed, the first thing you should read in the morning are those three things you recorded last night. This constantly reinforcing positivity. So I quite like that I, as an exercise, as the first thing you do, the first thing you read. It's that. And then it's a matter of choice. I tend to wake up, um, because of my work, I suppose, in part, I have a cup of coffee at about five and spend an hour reading clippings on that are coming into me on optimism. Mm. So I spend my first hour. Now, I wouldn't advise that to everyone unless you're a professional optimist. Um, <laughs> we need more of those. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that, that sort of, whether it's yoga, um, walking in the morning in the sunrise, Mm. Yeah, one of the tweets, if I tweet out a picture of the first light of the morning, mm. the response from people is just staggering. People love it. So for me, it's that mixture. You know, it's it's a I have a coffee first up. Um, I read optimism for an hour. 
I then do my yoga. Uh, depending on, on the time of year, I love to get out for the first light. And if the picture is evocative, you know, you get that sort of beautiful orange or yellow or pink and purple, um, taking a photo and sharing that. So this, and, and Deepak Chopra is very strong on this. This notion of surrounding yourself with beauty. And even if you live in the suburbs as I do, you know, I've got the uh, Port Phillip Bay a block away. Um, but, you know, the, the, the morning sun on the clouds is a thing of such astonishing beauty uh, that you can record it almost every day and surprise people with its beauty. So I think that morning routine, for me it's coffee, for you it might be tea, a bit of meditation. Um, I prefer a silent meditation. Um, I just love to concentrate on my own breath, but I think it's one of those differences between the sexes, really. A lot of women prefer the spoken, guided optimism uh, meditation. Um, and we've recorded a number of meditations. We've got Brahma Kumari meditations. We've got Anglican meditations. Uh, we, we are strong believers, KB, in meditation and prayer. Um, that can be a really good morning ritual or evening ritual. But the, the thing I'd really say to you is no news yeah. until you're in the car on the way to work. Yeah, that's good good advice to everyone. I'm just going to check the questions. Nesh, do you have any um no, I think I think my you know as as you were saying about uh, you know one of the things that I have I think in 2016 17 when my, when I lost a job where I found my hope or optimism and how I how I felt great about things was cooking. Oh, it's a, it's a very surprising. You know, my mom uh, when I told my mom that I can cook this Indian dish, she would say, "Hang on, you you could not even make proper tea when you were in India. <laughs> now you are cooking this, right?" And then when I when I, when I was in lockdown in India, I actually had to cook there and show to my mom that look, I really do it. I found for some reason when I when I'm cooking, I suddenly find. You know that energy. I suddenly feel great about things. Although, uh, you know, I did not know, but I would, I would, you know, watch a YouTube video 15, 30, you know, 50 times and get that recipe right. And I really enjoyed that whole process. And those two hours, I would say to my wife, "That look, don't come in the kitchen because you'll freak out." the mess that you will see everything so don't come in the kitchen but i found that really joyous experience and 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 i found that more therapeutic that i was able to deal with my my sense of loss of the job that i suddenly had and the responsibility that i had to you know provide to the family and everything but i found that that two one hour or two hour that i cooked i found real hope and optimism in, in that moment. So I think it could be anything, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the why am I sh sharing it? Because you may find hope and optimism in just walking or taking your you know, dog out for a walk or, you know, playing, you know, on, with Legos, for example. I, I think, I think you, one needs to know, uh, you know, where do you find that, that sense of, sense of hope again. So that's what I, I know, I'll, I'll probably say on that. Uh, KB, if you got any, I've, I cannot see questions. I was just seeing great comments. Uh, you know, yeah, Tara says, I, yeah. yeah. So that. cooking wise is interesting. You, you're like my, I have a 15 year old son who's very high performing in school. And, um, but he, like you, he loves to cook. 
and and he actually cooks brilliant Indian curries. Um, and you know, no recipe. You know, he knows what the flavors are and and gets it just right. And um, the Brahma Kumaris, the first time I met them, um, it was actually a weekend at their retreat in Baxter, which is a suburb of Melbourne now, but in those days it was the country. And uh, I remember they, they cooked vegetarian um, and they said the best food is the food cooked with love. Hmm. You can actually be a lousy cook, but, you know, your kids will remember <laughs> the meals cooked by mum or dad with love. And, and, you know, they will elevate it. You know, it might have been the driest roast lamb in the history of man, but it's that lamb that mum used to make or that curry that dad made um, is utterly special. And, I mean, there's a lot of scientific literature now, particularly in the US, where people um, eat dinner in front of the TV, you know, and there's no eye contact. And the, the, the scientific evidence around children being better and higher performing when they do a shared meal, particularly if the dishes are in the middle and you know you scoop from the from the central dishes, um, the children are so much better off. But my challenge to you, Nishad, is to say to your wife, "Come in and chop the carrots," or "Come in and chop the celery," and who knows what it might do to your romantic life. Oh, your, your kitchen may become X-rated. <laughs> well, she's distinct with this, by the way. Well, we'll have to report back to his KB on whether he's tried it. Exactly. <laughs> so tell, tell me, so so KB, what have, what have you developed as your morning ritual? How do you... Um, so I, I do some exercise, um, some stretches and some um, just some core exercises because um, I've had a bad hip. But they, I, and then I stop and I go, oh God, you know, I just like to feel how that energizes my body and that gives me a real boost. And then I, I do listen to some guided meditations on positivity and um, I've got a few, few on my phone that I, I listen to as well. And then my other part of the day is for the first hour of the day, I work on stuff related to this project because I find that if I do something that um, I really love in the morning, it gives me a boost for the rest of the day. So I'm not a believer in that saying of swallow the frog, you know, where you do the, the thing that you don't want to do first. I, I get more energy to do the things I'm not so keen on if I do the things I really love first. So, I, and I just pay, I pay close attention to my, you know, my emotions or my body at that time as well, just because you can really feel feel where you get a lift. So that's, that's you know, pretty simple and pretty basic. But I used to, when I first started working for myself, get up in my pyjamas and work until one in the afternoon and look up and go, I haven't even, you know, barely had breakfast. And those sorts of things, I've, I've just found that slowly they, they eat away at you and you don't realise. And then, you know, six months later, you're not feeling great about yourself and great about the world. And you realize that you've got this routine that's not that great for you. It's, um, so I really notice the difference in the two two versions of KB in, in that kind of scenario. So. And you've got a great voice, KB. Have you ever recorded a guided meditation of your own? No, I haven't, but maybe I could make a bit of money on the sides. <laughs> don't, even, don't, don't even think about making money on it. Try, try the first one. Yeah. 
but because people, there's so many thousands of people, but I, it's one of those bits of, of you know, the, the, the meditation that appeals to you yeah. will probably appeal to a million other people in the world. Yeah. I'm very blokey. I love the silent, just focused on the breath. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a beautiful guided meditation with someone with yeah. a good voice. Yeah. Um, the Sister Genti from the Brahma Kumaris and Sister Shivani, they have these fantastic voices and yeah. you just feel like you're floating into space. Oh. So, Nashad, what's your, your morning routine? Uh, dishwashers. Uh, sorry, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I know I should be more careful, isn't it? Don't tell the truth. I think my morning routine, uh, you know, is um, I, I really like, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing doing my first tea and having it quietly. I really like that. Uh, you know, that's why I tend to wake up before I before I even wake up, kids. I want to have my tea. And that 10, 15 minutes is very special. Like, I really enjoy that. There's nobody, no no noise, nothing. And I just sit down and, and read something or watch something. But I'm in my moment at that. I'm just thinking, you know, what do I want to do? What, what are the things that I want to do accomplish today? And what are the things that I wanted to do yesterday, which I did not do it? So I think that really, that... 10-15 minutes early just with myself and cup of tea is really really special for me yeah do, do you make indian tea or just just um yes plain... indian tea nah, yes, I, hate and I, love it too. I love adding the spices <laughs> it's one of those lovely yeah. exercises. now the thing the question we didn't ask and answer is how do you stay optimistic in the middle of a pandemic um, and I think we go back to that quote I gave you from, from Mother Julian of Norwich, you know, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. But the world is more complex than that. You know, a friend of mine has just written to me, he's Argentinian. He and his wife got caught in Spain in March. Um, they both got COVID. Um, they uh, went back to Argentina. As we're now finding out, there are so many odd complications of COVID. In his late 40s, he had a, his hip had gone to pieces under the COVID virus and had to have a hip transplant um, whilst he was in quarantine going back to Argentina. So we know that there are, you know, people who are in grief because their relatives have died or, you know, in Australia, we've been, you know, quite insulated against it. So few people have had COVID and so few people have died. But in many places, people have. So one of the things is um, it, it's, it's a Pollyannaism or stupid positive thinking mm. to say that there's a silver lining in every dark cloud. Mm. The, the reality of COVID is it is a dreadful illness, highly contagious um, and you know, mortally ill for the elderly, for the fragile. And as we're finding out, you know, men in their 30s and 40s. Um, a dying of COVID young people. So in that instance, you know, where we're talking to people who are going through grief or suffering, there's no point saying, oh, well, you know, everything will be well tomorrow, you know, or uh, everything will be marvelous. You've got to have empathy. Mm. You know, you've got to understand people's emotions and empathise with those emotions. But then the rest of the time, you've got to think, as someone said to me the other day, you know, a disease that impacts on 7 billion people um, causes a lot of people to think about it. Mm. So we probably have a hundred million brilliant people 
you know, working on everything from, um, you know, the vaccine um, to the drugs um, to the ways of, of keeping things clean, mm. um, you know, of avoiding exposure to the disease. Um, and, and, you know, when you look at that sort of stuff, and then as you said, Dashad, you know, the way in which people have built community, mm. um, the way people are working better. So our Better Normal project, um, we got answers from a thousand people in 22 countries. 70% were adopting a better normal. Mm. Yeah, they're going to work from home more, they were going to fly and travel less, um, spend more, you know, less time at work uh, because you're not wasting time on commuting. Um, and what was really interesting about that was um, the Daily Telegraph in Sydney was intrigued by that study and did a survey of News Limited readers around the country. Would you believe 85% of people responding to that poll in News Limited said they want a better normal? Mm. When we look at COVID, you know, it's terrible. You know, the 150,000 people dead in America and China and Russia, and this is terrible things. But when we look at the way, as you said earlier, Nishad, your faith in humanity, the way neighbours, family are coming together in new ways. Um, my family, you know, was, was divided by World War Two. You know, we think that the largest family gathering was 1937. Well, you know, using Zoom, we actually had the biggest family gathering since 1937. The relatives in Germany, America, Australia. Um, so, you know, you've got to think of those good things, but at the same time, you've got to also, the optimist doesn't say everything is great. Mm. The optimist says things will work out, persist, take action to make it better. Mm. Uh, and that has to be the crux of, of you know, that better world that we're building out of COVID. And you might be interested, Rob, Robert Masters, our chairman, might be a good subject for one of these conversations because he coined the phrase. And I now mm. see it popping up everywhere. Deloitte produced a report and concluded that. And so we're starting to see the phrase being adopted elsewhere as well. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to infect people. Mm. Um, this notion of infectious leadership mm. um, and you know through the better normal project we've managed um, to achieve that in part I love that that sort of concept because it's better than the new normal <laughs> do you know what I mean we hear the new normal all the time but as if it's if that's going to be a bad thing but yeah there's well, so the, much the new normal could be the Orwellian world I, I still mm. find it bizarre that the Australian army the Australian army is defending the New South Wales border against Victorians. <laughs> that we're going to have a ring of steel around Melbourne, you know, well, made up of the Australian country, doesn't it? Like, it seems. Well, the Chinese must be laughing. You know, there yes. they were berating us last week about our increased defence budget. Now mm. they say, ah, "Well, we can see why you need your military. You're, you're doing what we do. You know, you're, you're locking up your people. You're welding up the apartments." So. I've got to say, I, I'm coming from a refugee family from the Soviet Union um, and always believing in, in human liberty and freedom. I've got to say that even giving democratic politicians um, excessive emergency power goes to their head. And I, you know, this notion, it's like the Housing Commission flats. I don't want to be 
yeah, would I have made a different decision if I was the Premier or not? But it just seems bizarre to me that the police arrive and lock it up, but you haven't got social workers walking up and down every corridor telling people you're going to be delivering food parcels later that day. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the authority, yeah. And I'm getting a bit sick of the, you know, some people have done badly and that's why we're doing it. You know, when you look at the success of Australia and New Zealand, Germany, Denmark, uh, in relation to restricting the debts from COVID, it's been community, um, not dictatorship. But that's my that's my political bandstand for today. <laughs> that's going back to my old passion of politics. That's okay. We're probably getting close to the hour, I think. Um... I'm Absolutely. just having a quick look at comments. There's been a lot of supportive comments about people. Poonam says she starts her day with gratitude and she's thankful for being alive. Vanessa says, that to uh, great thoughts, totally agree. Thank you, Victor, Nation and Carolyn. Uh, Nildara says, your part, your wife says, thank you, Victor. <laughs> 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 you. <laughs> I think um, she's looking forward to chopping those carrots for I you. There's a good question from Intiaz Ali, which is one of the differentiators between positivity and optimism. And I think I, I answered that. You know, the positive thinking is this notion that there's a silver lining in every cloud. And there's not. You know, uh, there's a, a tsunami or an earthquake or a terrorist explosion and hundreds of people are killed. It's a bad thing. But, but the optimist says, well, look, you know, we must we have to take action to help those who've been affected. We have to have empathy, sympathy. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, the optimist says things will work out in the end. Um, There's another good question from Tara about how can you not be optimistic with that background. Um, <laughs> my parents were refugees in the Soviet Union. And my grandfather was executed by the day. my grandmother sent to the gulag. And um, so Tara, in fact, it, it, it's a good point because when I think back to the incredible suffering of my family just a generation ago, and, and particularly the generation before that, then you know, the trials and tribulations you have in Australia are, are pretty minor compared to that. And I had a journalist the other day say, oh, you know, this shutdown, it must be the worst thing to ever happen to Australia. And I said, well, have a think about it. We've got refugees from countries whose businesses were bombed or destroyed or expropriated. We've got migrants who've left terrible countries for a better life. And then we've got lots of Australian-born people whose businesses have been destroyed by flood and bushfire and the like. And if we turn to those hundreds of thousands of people to help lead us through this, you know, not just, you know, the Premier or the Prime Minister making grand speeches, mm -hmm. but as you're doing, sharing the stories of hope and optimism, um, yeah, that's where we will get that strength. So, Tara, my challenge to you is for you to, to share some of those stories and, and you too, MTRs. So um, there's some really good questions. Mm. Excellent. Look, Victor, I can tell you that you know I, I reached out to you because the moment I saw the optimism man in one of our connections, I said I need to connect with Victor. And and I I thought Victor, you know, I don't know whether Victor would agree to to come on our LinkedIn live or not, but I'm so grateful that I sent it to you and you have been absolutely sensational. This is one of our most inspiring 
but also very thoughtful discussion in our LinkedIn live um, that 76 episodes that we have done. Victor, you've been absolute delight to have a conversation. We would definitely want you to come back again. And also, if you know somebody else that can help us, you know, bring the stories of hope and optimism to our audience, please let us know. We would definitely like to reach out to them because this is what we can do in these uh, troubled times. I Thank you again. A, I will give you a list of roughly a hundred um, uh, with with delight. So we'll keep you going on this for the next year or two. Um, but what I'd love to a challenge to you two is is maybe one day, let's try and do this with twenty people. So I think your technology lets you do twenty. We can do ten on this one. 10. We can do ten. Ten people. Let's, yes. Why don't we go back and get ten of your previous speakers? And let's ask them that one question, what makes them optimistic? Followed by the second question, tell us a story of hope and optimism you've had. Love it. And so why don't we come back when you're ready to do it? Absolutely. Let's, let's do a round circle of 10 with two questions. What makes you optimistic? And then yeah. share a story of hope and optimism you've seen in the last week or two that's inspired you. And then we can also get all of the people who are listening in and logged in too yeah, um, to do the same thing. It becomes very powerful and reinforcing. Yeah. That's such an awesome idea. I, I, I think that would just give everybody um, an absolute lift to do that. And Nash, let's put it on. We've got a few, a couple of weeks booked with people, but let's let's maybe Absolutely. we should. Show. Maybe that'll help you get to your million interviewees by the end of the next <laughs> four or three years. You two are so good. I just it's just it's just relaxing talking to you. It's wonderful. You both got fantastic voices for radio and just the smile. As I said, the first habit of the optimist yeah. is smiling. The last habit of the optimist is laughing, and you two exemplify it. Thank you. All right. So thank you, everybody, for, for watching and listening in. If you want to follow your Career Care Package, go to the hashtag uh, Career Care Package and you'll see shows that we've got coming up and shows that we've got in the past. Thank you very much for joining us, Victor. It's just been delightful to have you. And um, we're, I, I think that would be, make a really nice... Nash and I have got 100 shows as our goal, but we'll do, I'll be doing more than that. But I think that would make a nice 100th show to... to Bring people in I think so. that story. So, and, and a nice thousandth show too. And a nice thousandth show. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> what are you making us do? <laughs> it's a wonderful ritual. I can't think of any nicer ritual than what you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. Excellent. All right, everyone. Yeah, tell so me how the curry goes that your wife chops the carrots and the celery for. I will absolutely. So uh, everyone will see you tomorrow. So stay safe. But the most important thing is stay optimistic. So until we see you tomorrow, uh, you know, thank you, Victor. Thank you, KB. We'll see you tomorrow. And we are going to talk about a different topic tomorrow. We are going to talk about imposter syndrome. Uh, and how do you overcome that? That will also be a fascinating topic to talk with Shandell Labozetta. Uh, so I'll see you tomorrow, everyone, uh, and have a nice evening. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.
Thank you everyone for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.